everybody. Welcome to the Radical Candor Podcast. I'm Kim Scott, co-founder of Radical Candor and also Just Work. And I'm Jason Rosoff, CEO and co-founder of Radical Candor. And I'm Amy Sandler, your host for the Radical Candor Podcast. We're recording this one in June 2021, and for many organizations, it's performance review season. So today, we'll be talking about why you can't have effective performance reviews if you're not also practicing performance development. Kim talks about this extensively in a bonus chapter that was included in the second edition of Radical Candor. If you haven't read that one... Go buy the book! Go buy buy the book! If you haven't read that one, go buy the book. Have you bought the book? Okay, now that you're back, the way you think about developing the skills of the people in your organization and how you think about performance management must be aligned. So it's a manager's job to both help each person on their team develop and grow in their career while also transparently assessing the performance of each person, what is also commonly called performance management. So according to research from Gallup, only 30%, less than a third of employees strongly agree that their manager involves them in goal setting. Even fewer, just 27% strongly agree that the feedback they're receiving helps them do their work better. And the numbers keep going down from there. Only 22% strongly agree that their performance is managed in a way that motivates them. And only 19% strongly agree that they actually have talked to their manager about steps to reach their goals. These are not great looking numbers, Kim, and it's so important. So why do you think this is just so hard for leaders to get right? I think there's an awful lot of confusion out there between development conversations and performance management. And so in my mind, here's, here's how I would tease it out. I would say that a development conversation That's what Radical Candor seeks to help not just leaders do, but everyone do. These are these impromptu two-minute conversations that you have with people that show them what they do great and also give them an idea of what they could change. So this is sort of soliciting criticism, giving praise, giving criticism. And this is what helps us develop. This is what helps us learn. This is what helps us improve. If you do those things, then people know what they they should work on. And when they get this performance management review, they get a bonus and or a rating or something like that once a year or twice a year, however often you do it, then they're not surprised. So this is about balancing the intrinsic desire to improve and grow that is sort of what these development conversations hook into. And then there's also this extrinsic desire for rewards, like bonuses or more equity or, or promotion. And making sure that we are taking care of both is, is really hard for managers. It also makes designing a performance management system and teaching how to have these development conversations very difficult. Because if you're not careful when you roll out this performance review system, it'll wind up being like capping a rotten tooth because people will use this performance management system as a substitute for these development conversations. And that is a disaster. 
because people need to know what they need to work on and there should be no, there should, and should is the operative word in the sentence. There should be no surprise when you get your performance review. And yet very often there is. So, so when you design your performance management system, you want to make sure that it's not undermining these development conversations. If the atomic building block of good management are these two-minute impromptu development conversations, how do you make sure that those are happening? And by definition, you, you can't create a system that forces impromptu conversations. And if you could, it would be very creepy. It would be sort of <laughs> HR sitting on everybody's shoulder. <laughs> and that is not what I think anyone wants. And so the motivation to have these conversations, to solicit feedback, it needs to be grounded in a in sort of a growth mindset. And I know that if I can get Brandy and Amy and Jason to tell me what I'm doing wrong, what I could be doing better, then A, they're giving me a gift, so our relationship is going to improve, and B, I'm going to do better work, and so my work will improve. The desire to receive it has got to be intrinsic, and the desire to give it has also got to be intrinsic, and it usually stems from caring personally. I care about Brandy and Amy and Jason, and therefore, if I see them doing something that could be done better, I'm going to tell them. If I see them doing something awesome, I'm going to tell them because I care about them, not, not because I'm going to tie this into their bonus at the, you know every single time. So it's got to hook into that intrinsic desire to grow and to foster the growth of those around you. And usually a big part of that intrinsic desire comes down to caring personally about the individual as well as about the work we're all doing together. And so the motivation to give guidance, to give both praise and criticism is most, mostly sort of altruistic, to help another person and the team as a collective flourish. But it's also, especially if you're a manager, it's, it's not purely altruistic because I'm not going to succeed as a manager if my people don't succeed. And so there's also a, a strong aspect of enlightened self-interest. And, and when it all works well, there's great alignment. What's good for me is what's good for you. What's good for you is what's good for me. And that's part of the joy of working together. So you don't want to tie these two-minute impromptu uh, development conversations explicitly to anything like bonuses or promotion or getting fired. You don't want to say, you know, Kim, if you say um another time, I'm going to fire you. You know, it's like, I know you want to do well, and so we're going to help you. We're, I want to help you get better. At the same time, if you're not clear in your performance management system about your assessment of the person, if you're not transparent about it, then people tend to live in fear. One thing I've observed is that one of the biggest problems with the sort of intersection or overlap between performance management and performance development is that performance management is required, meaning managers are required to participate in performance management. And it is quite hard, to your point, to sort of figure out a way to create the same sort of feeling of obligation when it comes to these ongoing impromptu development conversations. And so something that organizations have done is they've started to codify a manager's job as including these impromptu conversations. So part of a manager's performance management experience is 
their teams evaluating them on how well they are actually supporting them in these ongoing development discussions that aren't tied to the end of your performance management. So it seems sort of circular, but to your point about designing a performance management system that actually reinforces or encourages these conversations, it's quite important that we at least managers are on the hook (laughs) to make sure that you have them. So that's different than saying you must have a conversation after every meeting with your team members, but it is saying that at the end of the year, your team members get to say, you know, do I feel like my manager has provided me the feedback that I need on an ongoing basis in order to be successful? And so that's one hallmark of a good, of a sort of a holistic performance management system that includes space, that creates space and explicit need for these conversations. That's one hallmark that I've seen. I'm curious, Kim, if you've seen people deal with that in a in a good way that isn't the, the sort of HR bird sitting on your shoulder and telling you you have to have these conversations. Yeah, I mean, in that bonus chapter, I sort of, I mean... As you know, as you all know, I am not a designer, but I did try to sort of design some language around the different screens, different theoretical screens in a performance management system, which would remind people, like, you should already know what your areas for development are. You should have been having these conversations so that there's at least a reminder that none of this should be new for people. Another sort of moment where sometimes confusion creeps in is, People will try to pretend that the performance management conversation is a development conversation. And it is not. Being as clear as possible about this, it's going to prompt some uncomfortable conversations. But you know me, I'm all about the uncomfortable conversation. So if you say, look, here's the performance management system, you're going to get a rating and the rating is going to tie into a reflection of our assessment of how you're doing and it's going to tie into the bonus you get or whether you get promoted or whatever. And be explicit that this is not objective truth and that it's not always fair. We're not always going to get it right. Because what you don't want is for people to come away hopelessly discouraged. You know, I'm in the bottom 10%. I will always be in the bottom 10%. I suck. Like that's a failure of a performance management system. And it's not an uncommon failure. And then the other common failure is like false precision. So when I was at Google, there was a one to five scale, which is already, you know, it's a reasonable scale. But then of course it was a, you know, quote unquote data driven and we wanted to be very precise. And people started using what, you know, like 3.1, 3.2, 3. So so now all of a sudden it was a 50-point scale and not a five-point scale. And the truth is no manager can make that fine a distinction between it's like having a stack ranking of people and where you have to say, I have a team of a hundred people and I'm going to say the best person is this person in the world. Like that is false precision and really kind of cruel to people. So a good performance management system offers some transparency. This is how I'm thinking. This is, this is why you're getting this bonus. It allows people to challenge your thinking and it, it offers sort of th- some I'm being humble about this assessment, some admission that this assessment is not the word of God. And last but not least, it doesn't try to pretend that it's something it's not. This is not a development conversation. I'm offering you some transparency about how and why I'm making decisions about bonuses, equity, and promotions. You know, Jason, just to get back to this idea of development and 
intrinsic motivation into what you were saying about actually building into the role of of the manager's job, that it's your job to really have these developmental conversations. Would, would another word for that be coaching? It could be. I think the word coaching is one of those like very polluted words <laughs> in the world of management. It means a lot of things in a lot of contexts. And I liked, Kim, your earlier definition, which I'm now paraphrasing, which is that our goal is to help people sort of develop towards their goals, towards their their career ambition. Maybe, Amy, you said this a little bit earlier. And I think that in order to do that effectively, there needs to be a clear assessment of where the person is now, or at least a clear, a transparent, like I need to be transparent in my assessment of where the person is now um, so that when we start talking about where they could go in the future, we're actually aligned on what they need. Because one of the hardest parts, uh, whether you call them coaching or, or development conversations, is when there's sort of a misalignment, right? Uh, my self-assessment as the person receiving coaching is that I'm great at something and your assessment as my manager, even, even if you're, this is a peer coaching relationship or mentorship type of thing, your assessment is actually, no, there are some major deficits in where you need to be. The, the problem when we conf- is like when we confuse, when that gets mixed up with performance management, all of a sudden that's a threatening conversation. When I say, here's my assessment of what I think you need to do in order to reach your next goal or objective. And so that's why it's important to separate these contexts to say, Mm -hmm. I'm not filling out a form that gets attached to your review at the end of the year. Like this is a conversation between the two of us where you're being clear with me about your goals and I'm being clear with you about how I can be most helpful to you in achieving those goals, where I see opportunities for you to improve, where I see opportunities for you to invest in your existing skills in order to leverage them. Just take a step in the direction of your dreams to borrow a quote from the book. But fundamentally, like this is a conversation between you and I, like this isn't a conversation between us and the organization about your, about your performance writ large. Yeah, that's a really important aspect is that development conversations are private and performance management is usually public. It's in a, it's in an HR system and it's part of your record. That makes a big difference. And that privacy is actually really important. That's why I don't believe in radical transparency. Like if you're going to build a relationship once with someone, you've got to have some conversations with that person in private. I think there's another aspect to performance management which, if done well, can actually help development. Uh, and so one of the things that sometimes happens is a manager will do a, a reasonable job or a peer will do a reasonable job or an employee will do a reasonable job with their boss, sort of describing a problem, describing a problem. So, you know, yes, your results, Kim, are really good, but you're pissing off all of your teammates. And mm-hmm. maybe I hear that feedback that I'm sort of harming all my, I'm bullying all my colleagues or something, but I don't really think it matters because I'm getting good results. And then all of a sudden, when I get my performance management review, when I get my bonus and I find out, oh, I didn't get a bonus because I have bullied all, you know, now all of a sudden I'm going to pay more attention to that development feedback. So it can, if done properly, if and again, this requires careful design of your performance management system. But one of the things I strongly recommend in a performance management system is that it takes into account teamwork because otherwise one person can achieve great things as an individual, but at the expense of the collective. And if collaboration is humanity, 
humanity's superpower, we don't want to design systems that optimize against collaboration. I, I can imagine the, the development conversations. One of the reasons why you might need the backstop of performance management of like not getting the bonus is because ultimately a development conversation is not me telling you what to do right? You have to tell me what you want to do and I need to lift you up, right? I need to support you in doing what you want to do. But ultimately, if I cannot convince you of the value of collaborating with your teammates, but we have said as an organization that collaboration is key to our success and it's one of the pillars upon which we will evaluate people's performance, it's really helpful to have that backstop there and say, you're not eligible for a bonus because you did not perform well in this pillar or this behavior that we consider to be essential to every person's success at this company. And so it's another way of sharing the same message because in those development conversations, it's really upside down, I, I think, actually. One of the, the mistakes that managers make is, is when we use the word manage people's development, there's a belief that you, the manager, are dragging people along and getting them to perform better and better. But it's actually, that's upside down. Like, really what you should be doing is starting with, like, help me understand what you want to do painting a picture of how what they want to do is connected to what's going to make them successful in the context of the organization, and then using those two things to allow them to drive, to allow them to say, here's Mm -hmm. where I need your help. Here's how I, employee, need my manager's help in order to achieve this goal. I love that. And I wonder, is it, would it be too big a stretch? You know, we'll often say what gets measured gets managed, but is a better reframe, what gets measured gets developed? Well, you know, Amy, my first novel was The Measurement Problem. (laughs) And The Measurement Problem is that capitalism is very good at rewarding what it can measure and very bad at rewarding what it values. And actually, my hope is that these development conversations will do a good job helping people reward what is valued, but very difficult to measure. Despite my Silicon Valley bona fides, I'm a little skeptical of measurement, especially when it comes to human relationships, which is really what we're talking about with these development conversations. You want to be able to get to know people. Like if part of your job with these development conversations is to help people take a step in the direction of their dreams, you've got to know what their dreams are. And you don't want to be creepy. You also have to respect their boundaries. But I think one of my favorite parts of Radical Candor is a description of sort of career conversations where you really take the time, and this is a process developed by Russ Laraway, but when you take the time to have a life conversation with someone, starting with kindergarten, tell me about your life. And again, some people would rather part poke a sharp stick in their eye than tell their boss about their childhood. So if the person would rather start with grad school, or that's fine. Don't push a person beyond their comfort. You want to understand from people what motivates them at work. So if you understand their life story and you sort of pay attention to what are the pivots the person has made, you can begin to really discern from that what are the things that really motivate. You know, I quit being on the soccer team and I started being on the swim team because I really liked 
watching my times improve or whatever that then you th- then you know maybe that person needs a little extra measurement <laughs> to motivate them they're very quantitatively motivated or whatever it is travel is really important to me you know i i took this job because it would allow me to travel the world so you begin to learn what's important for people and then you also want to give people the space to talk about their dreams not just how am I going to climb the corporate ladder at this job? But if I can imagine my life at a time when everything is going the way I want it to go, what might that look like? And it could look very different from my current job, and that's okay. And beginning to allow people to share their past and their future dreams is what will help you give them the kind of developmental feedback that they really care about. Mm -hmm. Just to be clear on the and maybe it was too catchy for my own good, but on the what gets measured gets developed was really what, what Jason was saying, which is that to, to codify that your role as a manager is to have these developmental conversations. So if we're measuring that in some respect, it will encourage those developmental conversations, knowing that we're sometimes motivated by that there is going to be a measurement. So it's the, it's the backstop to support developmental conversations. Yes. And I don't really know how to measure these impromptu two-minute conversations. As you know, I started this other company that tried to help do that. This We built a series of apps and they didn't work. They felt creepy to people. They felt mm-hmm. intrusive to people. You can offer surveys to say, my manager gives me the kind of feedback I need, but I haven't I'm going to we fall back on the old measurement problem. I think yes. this is this is the valuable, this is the atomic building block of management are these impromptu two-minute conversations. I don't know. I'm open to ideas. Uh, I don't well, know how to measure that. There's something special, though, that happens with those kinds of measurements. So even though they're very imperfect, I think one of the most important things that I consistently see when we run measurements with companies is that At one level, everyone will say, I am great at having these conversations with my team members, but my manager is terrible at having these conversations with me. And then I go one level up and they're like, I'm great at having these conversations with my team members, but my manager is terrible at having these conversations with me. And I think just that, even if that is all you get out of it to say, like we have a a perception of ourselves and how well we are doing with this, but that does not necessarily connect to reality. Like people don't necessarily feel that in the same way. Mm -hmm. I think that level of measurement can be incredibly valuable. The other place that I've seen those types of measurements be useful is when, as a manager of managers, for example, I had one person who was on my team. We did these sort of manager evaluations at the end of the year. If you saw this person's evaluation, you would think they were that they were actually beating people in their one-on-ones. Like they were, they were the worst evaluations that I had ever seen in my entire life. And I was so this person is lovely, like a lovely human being. And when I dug into it, what I realized, like, this person had a very particular point of view on how you show that you care. And the way that he culturally learned to show that he cares, he challenged people very, very directly. Because from his perspective, care personally was equivalent to sort of emotional manipulation. And so if he spent time asking people how their day was, that's how... If someone did that to him, it would feel to him as though they were trying to butter him up for some, for some to, to confuse him or, or, or manipulate him. And when I dug underneath like what was going on, I started to realize that there was a perception problem. Like the, He perceived that he was doing exactly what would be right, best for the people that he managed, and the people that he managed felt like they were being hit in the head by a two-by-four every time they had a one-on-one with him. So like, there's a perceptual value. You're not getting an absolute measurement, 
but it does sort of tip you off to the, the sort of differences in perception that people might have about what's going on. Yes. And it is so important with those, what you said was when I dug into it. So when you use these surveys, it is really important to use the surveys like uh, an alarm system. It is not the fire brigade, right? And so, so it's a fire alarm, not a firefighter. And you as the leader of leaders are the firefighter. And so, for example, I worked at one company that sent this employee engagement survey out and they asked all these questions that were, they were trying to figure out if managers were giving feedback. And there was one, one manager at the company who looks like the best manager at the company if you just treated this, this survey like the truth instead of using it as a fire alarm that might be a fault. And then there was another manager who looked like there were some real problems. And the leader in this organization, despite the fact that I begged him not to do this, promoted the person whose results look good and dinged the person whose results look bad. But it turned out the person who looked great was just blowing smoke. Uh, uh, to, keep the fire, to keep the fire I'm alarm gonna, going. I'm not going to complete that phrase. Everybody loved working for this person because they gave them no feedback. They told they they told them all that they gave a lot of bad praise, right? Uh, uh, insincere praise, and gave high ratings. But nobody was growing in their career. Nobody was improving, and it turned out to be a big problem. And then the person who got the, this looked like a terrible rating in their em, employee engagement survey was actually had a couple of low performers on their team and the manager was correctly managing them out. And so, of course, it looked bad. So you've got to be really careful with what you measure and how you use the results of these kinds of measurements when you're, when you're looking at one-on-one, two-minute, private, impromptu conversations. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. For, the, for those folks that are listening right now in the summer of 2021 who have not been soliciting feedback, giving praise, having these career conversations, and yet they still have to do performance reviews, what, what, do, you, what do you recommend? Uh, Kim, let me start with you. What, where do you start in terms of performance reviews if you haven't yet been practicing radical candor? This is a hard situation to be in. So first of all, I feel your pain if you're in this situation. And also, you're in good company. A lot of most people have not been having as many development conversations as they should. In fact, I wrote Radical Keener, and I still struggle to have these conversations. It's very, it, it takes enormous emotional energy to have these, and discipline to have these conversations. And, and I don't know about the rest of y'all, but I feel a little exhausted right now. So I don't, I'm not, my emotional discipline is probably not at its best right now. So I think that when you're in that situation, you still have to make decisions about bonuses and about promotions, and therefore you still have to share your assessment. And remember, it is your assessment. So be humble about delivering or be open-minded, be open to the other person's perspective about delivering that assessment. It is, it is not an objective truth. This is your assessment. And I would also own, say, look, I haven't been having the kind of impromptu two-minute conversations, development conversations with you that I wish I had had. And just apologize for that and say, I'm going to do better going forward. 
And that's going to be part of my performance review. That is a place where I fell down in my performance review. But I still have, just because you failed to give someone, have these development conversations all along, doesn't mean that you owe them a high rating or or a bonus. It means that your bonus might be affected negatively. But it, but it doesn't mean you don't have to do the work of the, of the performance management. And it's tricky. It's a hard situation to be in. You know, one of the things, but before we close this idea that if we're not having regular development conversations or we're not having the kind of career conversations that Kim was talking about, really understanding where someone wants to go, you know, this idea that someone might get labeled a B player when in fact they're just simply not suited for that position and they, they can actually find something that would be more, more suited for them. We turn someone's performance review into a value judgment about that person. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really, really easy to do ding, that ding, because there are numbers. Like it's very human beings are very comforted when we can like organize things into lists and put people put things and people into boxes and to associate values with that. It's like it's comforting to us to say like this person deserves this much bonus and this person deserves this much bonus. And but I really decided s- what they deserve. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that's not what we're doing. What we're saying is the performance, the work that this person produced is work. It deserves from by, based on my assessment, this, this level of recognition, salary, bonus, promotion, whatever it is, it is a sep- it, We need to separate those two things. And I actually think that that is one of the reasons why people wind up leaving people who are doing mediocre work in their roles is because they feel like it would be too judgmental for that because they are associating these things because they are making judgments because they're associating someone's performance and making a value judgment about the person. They're like, it's too judgmental of me to say, I don't think this is a great fit for you. I think there's maybe an opportunity out there, but that, that is because exactly because we have this perverse idea of perverse equation of someone's performance and their value as a human being. If we can Mm -hmm. get in our minds that we should separate those two things, all of a sudden it becomes a very supportive conversation to say, Hey, I'm I'm curious, like, are you happy doing what you want to do? I remember this conversation. Uh, I, I was not managing this person. We were sort of a mentor-mentee relationship. And they were an engineer who was convinced that they wanted to be a manager someday. And there were a couple of skills that are just really important that I was encouraging this person to develop. And one of them was how to have work product feedback conversations, like this, this, and this you did well, this, this, and this could be better. And he would tell me over and over again, I'm so stressed out by this. I'm, this is like, an, it's incredibly difficult for me to have these conversations. Every time I have one, I'm like sweating. And so after a couple of weeks of this, I said, I want you to be what you want to be. And what you've told me you want to be is a, an engineering manager. But if these conversations are so stressful to you, I worry that when you get, mm-hmm. like, if, if you were to get promoted to that position, you're going to be a very unhappy person. Since instead of coding all the time, you're going to be having these conversations all the time. So I'm worried about that. And he said, no, no, no. Like, I'm going to figure out a way to get through this. And I said, just hang on a second. Snap judgment right now. If I told you you had to have these conversations every day for a year, would you want that job? Yes or no? And he's like, ah, I was like, don't think, just answer. And he's like, no, I would not want that job. I was like, okay, that's really important. We just had a really big breakthrough. And that's not because he's a bad person or he's incapable. There's nothing wrong. It was just that that part of the job was not a good fit for where he was. And it turns out two years later, he made the transition to management and was a very successful and happy manager because he changed. 
he got into a place where those conversations were easier for for him to have. But if he had made that transition that year, I'm convinced that he would have been out six months. He would have said, I, I need pull the ripcord. I need to be put back as an engineering lead, not a manager. Because of that, that people, or it's one of the reasons why people who are showing mediocre performance get stuck is because managers are afraid that they're going to be judgmental, as opposed to seeing it as a supportive thing that they could do for people to help them see a disconnect between their performance as it exists today and what the role really requires. And the real irony about that fear of being judgmental is that very often it is the very act of labeling this, well, this person is mediocre. They are not, a, there's no such thing as a mediocre human being or a mediocre dog either for that matter. Like creatures are not mediocre. Every human being has the opportunity to be excellent at something. But it doesn't mean that every human being can be excellent at everything. We cannot, and we don't want to, moreover. And so I think that's why what Jason said is, you know, do you want to be a manager? Do you want to do the things that managers do? And if you don't want to do those things, you don't want to be it yet, uh, or maybe ever. I think help, helping managers see that you're not judging a person, you're judging this person's performance mm-hmm. in the context of this organization. And it may be that this person doesn't like doing that job. It doesn't mean that they're bad human being or even bad at that. They don't like it. They would like something else better. I think it's such a great distinction and even just the idea, you know, which I think is probably in my subconscious somewhere is, you know, the higher you go up the corporate ladder, the quote, better you are, or, you know, you sort of become a quote, better person. And it's like, no, a manager is there to to clear obstacles. It's a job, not a value judgment. Exactly. What a great way to end. Job, not a value judgment. Time for our Radical Candor checklist. Tips you can use to start putting Radical Candor into practice immediately. Kim. Tip number one, commit to having two-minute, impromptu, radically candid development conversations with each of your direct reports as needed, and don't use the word as needed to justify doing it once a year. Do it all the time. Remember, there should never be any surprises in a performance review. (laughs) Number two, don't try to force a fit. If it becomes clear that someone is not suited for a position they're in, help them find one they are suited for. Don't make the mistake of turning someone's poor performance in a role into a value judgment about them as a person and their capability. Number three, get to know each of the people on your team as real, actual human beings. There are no mediocre human beings and certainly not mediocre dogs. Thanks, Kim. (laughs) Learn about your team members' individual career goals, what motivates them, and whether at this moment, and this might change over time, whether they're on a steep or gradual growth trajectory. And my favorite tip of all times, reward what you value, not necessarily what you can measure. Well, for more tips, head to RadicalCandor.com backslash podcast. If you like what you hear, please do rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget, Kim, do you still have a new book out there? My new book is so great, and you should go buy it right away. It's called Just Work. And for now, it's called Just Work, Get Shit Done, Fast and Fair. But we are changing that subtitle. And so get that shit now. It's going away available everywhere books are sold yeah maybe it'll be a collector's item and it the value will be for sure thanks for joining us our podcast features radical candor co-founders kim scott and jason rosoff is produced by our director of content brandy neal and hosted by me amy sandler music is by cliff goldmacher 
Go ahead and follow us on Twitter at Candor and find us online at RadicalCandor.com. Thank you.